Hello, I'm Michelle Duke catlin Welcome to episode two of season one of Trude Up, the podcast that invites you to be the change. Before times, in what seems like a lifetime ago, I worked in lifestyle television. I produced and directed stories about fashion and makeovers, home decor and design, cooking and health. I even hosted a ballroom dance show. I was a dancer myself and belonged to a Ukrainian dance ensemble with whom I toured Ukraine in 1989, before the fall of the Soviet Union. I was an actor studying Shakespearean theater during one unforgettable summer in Oxford that changed the course of my life. And I have been a writer in many capacities for over 30 years. There are many stories I could tell in many different genres. And in the before times, one of my biggest challenges was deciding on which ones and how to tell them. Do I write fiction or nonfiction? Books, short stories, films, stage shows? There was so much possible that it was almost paralyzing. There is an old adage that says that a man with too many choices will know pain. In the before times, I felt that pain. But when everything changed in 2020, everything changed. I had only one choice, and that was to use whatever skills I had to share the truth to the best of my ability and knowledge. I loved and still love the arts. I am moved and inspired and shaped by beauty and art. I find myself swept away by the art and craft of storytelling, a skill that goes back to the very beginnings of human history, or his story. Storytelling is how we create narratives, change behaviors, and even shift societies. It shapes morality, or lack thereof. This is why I believe that artists have a duty to tell the truth, to shine a light in the dark corners of human behavior, even and especially when those truths are unpopular. This is why it had been particularly puzzling and disappointing that more artists haven't spoken out about what has happened over the past few years. In the before times, there were rebels with a cause. There were artists speaking truth to power. There was real art. I'm not saying that art no longer exists, but that these days, what gets most of our attention is bread and circuses. And so it was with great enthusiasm that I watched The Big Picture, a new docu-series that draws the viewer in with the finesse and suspense of a favorite drama series, telling the truth about what we've all experienced and telling it with great credibility and great human feeling. Todd Michael Harris is a professional filmmaker who has stepped up and out to use his formidable storytelling skills to shine a light on uncomfortable and sometimes shocking truths. Amanda Forbes is the force of nature who approached Todd to make this film. And together, they have created a series that will both upset and inspire you. They are clear examples of people who are creating art in alignment with their purpose and principles. They are trued up, and they are my guests today. I first just want to say thank you both so much to for being here. I am delighted to have this conversation. Amanda, 
I already adore. And Todd, I have been, you know, doing some research. I also wrote about um, um, uninformed consent. So I have been praising you for a while without knowing you. (laughs) (laughs) So welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. I want to start by saying that this show is being recorded um, just after the release of your latest film, The Big Picture, for which you are the writer and director and Amanda is the producer. So obviously we're going to talk about that, but I want to just get a a sense of who you both are so that people have some understanding why I felt compelled to have a conversation with you. So Amanda, I'll start with you. And um, really, how did you get involved with making a film? Let's start there and then go back to... (laughs) your story yeah yeah for sure so I mean I'm I'm pretty heavy boots on the ground regardless uh with regards to the freedom movement and rights of people and and just uh you know an advocate in many many ways before all of this happened and uh my dad fell uh victim to the Pfizer vaccine he had nine strokes after his second vaccine, and um, when the hospital tried to kill him with COVID, uh, I said, absolutely not. And I mean, I, it, it's clearly more intricate than that. You're getting the Coles Notes edition um, for the people that want to make comments about it. But, um, you know, we pulled him out of the hospital, which turned into a partial kidnapping. And then um, brought him home. I hired a team of, of nurses that were no longer working and found a doctor to come in and make house calls. And that, I think, after the fight or flight left is when my anger kicked in again. And I'm a big believer in, in instead of, you know, falling prey or falling victim to the anger and doing the woe is me thing, I get productive and find ways to help people any way I can. So, you know, that was that was a big marker. But what pushed me over the edge was a friend of mine whose young daughter was uh, had to go into sick kids and uh, her she went home without her daughter, inevitably. And, you know, with a corrupt I, I don't I don't want to tell her story because it's not my story to tell but you know my heart she really influenced me in a lot of ways and her young daughter and I've known her for many many years and her kids are just the sweetest little things and you know for for sick kids to literally hijack this child from the mother and and from and from the child's self and inevitably kill her with the wrong treatment was heartbreaking for me. And I literally went off the edge and thought, how can I help change this? This, this is, I'm done with this. I am done with this on every level. I am done with people being treated like numbers. I am done with people being treated like guinea pigs. How can we make people see what, what, what's happened and how we've gotten here and and what it's become, you know, um, how do we make that easy in layman's terms for people to to understand? And why is it that 
some of us can see it, but others can't see it. And I mean, it's the triggers and the traumas. I know that in my case, and it has to happen very close to home in order for that wool to come up over your eyes and, you know, join in and use your voice and, and, and use your, your power, the power of your soul and, and just move forward. Okay. You've said so much there <laughs> that we could dive into. Um, I mean, you've said some very big, important things, you know, the hospitals killing people. You've talked about, um, yeah, you've talked about some big things and I want to talk about those things. But first, what I hear is that filmmaking is a way yes. to reach people in that way. So, yeah, well, it's funny because I mean, I, I knew an uninformed consent was coming out. I wanted it to be mainly a Canadian based informative film, whatever was going through my mind, this whole brainstorming. And then I had heard Todd's name and I, I went on a mission and I found Todd and I said, listen, this is what's going on. This is my life. This is what it looks like. What do you think about this? And he's like, I was thinking the same thing. Let's go. <laughs> so it was incredible. I've never, I, this is never something I've done in the past, but mind you, I'm not very, uh, I don't go with the flow very easily. Everything <laughs> is all over the place and, and whatnot. And if I feel driven to go with an idea, I know that's the divine pushing mm -hmm. forward. And I've learned to listen to that over the last three years. And that's saved my dad. It's saved my daughter. It's, it's put me on so many odd platforms. I never thought I would ever be. And you know what? I, I don't take it for granted and I don't take it lightly and I'm here for a reason and whatever God wants to use me for is, is what I'm here for. So found Todd filmmaking. He's my favorite now. Yay. <laughs> well, I, I have to say, so I, you know, not a lot of people these days, but that's my back. My background is in um, production. I was a, a field producer, director in lifestyle television. I made, I don't know, over a thousand stories before I left and uh, then made a couple of short films myself. So I'm telling you this only because I want you to know that you are an excellent filmmaker. So that's my hello to you. <laughs> I am uh, just so blown away, but I want to touch on, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about your path to create, making the big picture, to making love in the time of COVID um, to making uninformed consent and to making the big picture. But you said something in one of your interviews that art, art should change society for the better. Mm -hmm. That is something I deeply believe. So tell me about your path, how you got here, where you are now, and about listening to the divine. Well, you know, that... That, that idea kind of came to me when I was about 17 years old and I was at a party. And at that point, the only art I was creating was music. And um, a, a guy who was there, somebody's dad said that to me at the party. And I was like, that was just like, boom, that stayed with me forever. And, um, and so when I started making documentary films, because I started out doing dramatic features and, and music videos and, and learned a lot like as a cinematographer from all that. 
Um, and some really crappy B movie, like lifestyle movies. I think they're called, uh, no, no, what was it called? Uh, anyways, Hallmark. I think Hallmark is what it was yeah, called. Yeah. Uh, it's really terrible, terrible stuff. Hey, listen, we all cut our teeth somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I learned a lot and I was allowed to, I had some free reign and was allowed to play around with cameras and, and they paid me a great wage so I could feed my kids and my, my family. So. Um, but I always had that idea. And so when I finally got to the point where I had the confidence and I felt like I had the skill to go out on, on a national stage with a, with a film, um, that was, that was the goal. I started looking at my films have to be like this and I hit it right off the, right off the start, but, um, but maybe subtly, but I also, at the same time, I thought, you know, if to get people's eyes, you've got to got to make something completely entertaining, something that looks good, something with a good story, something, you know, and so all of those ideas have been incorporated into all my work, but they've, they're in, they've been incorporated into these last films um, in, in a way that I'm incredibly proud of. And, and, you know, like, like what Amanda said, I just feel like there's something working through me and I'm just trying to stay out of the way. And I'm just trying to listen to that voice in my head that's always been there but just keeps getting stronger the more you listen to it the more you trust in it and yeah, yeah. sorry yeah so i just kept following that and and with you know when covid hit and i didn't i was like ah i don't think i believe any of this i don't trust anybody involved in this um uh, uh there was this voice in my head saying okay you gotta you gotta start you know making this film about it and I was like, okay, well, first of all, I'm never going to, where am I going to get money to do this? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I didn't know it. there was a freedom movement and I didn't know anybody in the freedom movement. And, and, and so I kind of resisted for a little bit. I resisted that voice. And, um, and, but, you know, I, I was also like, well, where are the doctors? You know, there's no doctors that are coming forward. They're, they're, I, I need a doctor. I need someone with credentials to interview at the very least to start this thing off. And then Stephen Malthouse wrote his letter to Bonnie Henry, um, our, our health Nazi out here in British Columbia, who was shutting everybody down and telling them it's, it's not safe to wear masks. No, it is safe to wear masks. Yeah. You should wear a mask. You know, like this woman's just a colossal liar and um, so easy to see through. Anyways, Stephen wrote her a letter and, and I, and I sent him an email and he called me in like five minutes after I sent that email. And so then I was kind of game on. Um, we had a, uh, in my family, my brother-in-law, who was a film producer, um, he tested false positive with the PCR, shut down his film set, put everybody out of work, sent him into isolation at his home in his attic. And kind of after nine, nine days, he went a little crazy, told a little lie and went for a walk. And, um, so the story, that story, love in the time of COVID, which was my first film on this is kind of the search for him. And then also the search around for answers around what is what is COVID? What is this PCR test we're hearing about? And and um, so, you know, I've sort of followed that same kind of formula with the three film, these three last films. There's a human story inside of all this other stuff. This is so key to the success of these films, you know, that I mean, I, I certainly I remember at the beginning of Uninformed Consent, those first few minutes were so gripping. I, I could hardly breathe. 
<laughs> and I thought, what is this? It was the first film I saw that felt like a professional filmmaker who knows how to tell a story had done on this subject. So, okay. yeah. So kudos to you. Like that for me was just somebody's making a real film, right? Yeah, yeah. Now you had said something interesting in one of your interviews, and I want to, I want to touch on this because I think it's so key to people taking action for in whatever they believe. But you said that you just figured that there'd be millions of people making films about all the COVID crisis. And, you know, why should you do it? Turns out, you know, you're one of, you know, very few. Yeah, yeah. What is it that had you step over that concern to make the film? Again, that the voice in your head that's telling you to do it. Um, but yeah. why did you listen to that voice if you initially uh, dismissed it? And I'm asking for a specific reason, because this is like really the impetus for this podcast. Yeah. Is some people have the thought, they have the inner voice, but then they 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 don't listen to it. Right. And I think a lot of people, I mean, especially if it's your first project or something, you're, that's going to be even harder because resistance is going to come at you in every way. You know, that that energy is there, right? And that energy is going to try to stop you. And, you know, like even when Amanda and I, you know, and when Amanda contacted me, I was thrilled. I love children's health defense. And so uh, getting the fact that they were reaching out to me was, was fantastic. But, you know, when I began that film and I had them behind me and I, the whole time I was like, wait a minute, I'm like, can I do this? Am I any good at this? Do am I, am I a filmmaker? Do I, did I just get lucky? You know, like all that resistance comes up in your head and tries to stop you. And it's very tricky resistance. It's very tricky. Uh, but so, you know, I've been working past and working through resistance for 14 years or 15 years. Um, so, I mean, you make your first film, you're like, where do I start? What do I do? You start, you just start making the film and then it comes and you listen and you continuously listen to that voice and it gets stronger and stronger and you get more confident and the, and resistance can't find its way through and you beat that energy and you move into just this powerful energy that pushes you and guides you. And if you're listening, um, I, I don't. I think the outcome can only be fantastic. So, what I hear from that, which I think is is really great, is that you're going to be experiencing resistance. Expect resistance, but don't take it seriously. And yeah. in fact, you can use it to strengthen yourself. And what a teacher! You know, the the just teaching you the power of positive thought. That that has so much power. I mean, they should be teaching that in schools, right? A hundred percent. And I think there's a reason they're not. Um, but but yeah, that that power of positive thinking of just you just when that when those thoughts come in because you know they sneak in and sometimes we're unconscious and they sneak and when you see them and you hear you f that I'm just continuing on with what I'm doing and I'm going to create something that's really powerful and I'm going to do that for the rest of my life and I'm and you just keep that alive that is the opportunity of this moment in history isn't it to keep stepping uh, over that a guy wrote I mean, a great book called called the war of art because making art is war you know you you sorry you, you wrote wrote no a, a guy i forget the guy's name who wrote oh, it no i've read it 
It's very small. It's fantastic. <laughs> I, I was about to like fall off my chair if you wrote it. <laughs> because I have read it twice. Uh, yeah. It's a great, it's a great little book. Like yeah. keep it behind the toilet or whatever and grab it every time you sit down. Um, it, uh, but, but that's, you know, what he is passing on to people that knowledge. I mean, there's especially like, who's going to want to see this, that, that comes in, right. Who's going to want to. So, you know, uh, it's just about moving past that. And, and with, with, you know, love in the time of COVID, I also had people going, you know, cause I was, I had put something together uh, helping parents who um, were thinking about getting their kids vaccinated because they were all around me. And we were looking at Adrian Dix, the health minister here in British Columbia, was trying trying to mandate vaccines for kids at that time. So I put together this little thing. I found some people to interview. Chris Shaw was one of them, um, who's a neuroscientist, and Alan Castles, who is a former uh, drug policy research with the government. Uh, I think uninformed consent got him fired. But um, uh, so... So I already had put something together to help the parent, just people around me that I knew in British Columbia, you know, to go, this is, you, you can't stand for this. And here's what's happening to your kids when they get vaccinated. So I had already, you know, met some people and had some stuff together. And so pe- uh, friends were also saying, you, you're the guy to make this movie. Like, make the, why aren't you making this movie? And I was like, so that helped a lot too. There's so much to be said about that, and I have so many questions for you, but I want to go back to what you said about that there's going to be negative energy that's going to try and stop you. So, Amanda, for me, it occurs to me that nothing stops you. Do you have (laughs) – what is it that gets in your way, and how do you overcome that? Usually when that happens to me, I don't know if it's conversation I've had with God or Creator or whatever you want to say, but I've made peace with that noise in my head. And I've, I've also come to realize that, you know, you can hear the divine guidance or you can hear your ego and it's your ego that's trying to keep you from your soul's purpose in this life. So as long as I can stop and reflect for a minute and back out of that and, and look down in on, on, on the controversy that, that I'm, the internal controversy, you know, and, and figure out if that's fear that my ego's facing, you know, or, or, or are these messages coming in to follow? How do you distinguish that? What's, what's the process? I have been doing this for a very long time. I've, I mean, my youngest was vaccine injured in 2014. And I guess you could say that um, I was the first person to put my face out there in Canada and and try to make a difference in that regard. I mean, there were organizations and whatnot, but I started doing the interviews and the podcasts and finding the Canadian vaccine injured adults, children, and whatnot. And uh, I mean, with that, that was that was a heavy heavy burden. Uh, you know, not only me and my family, but I mean, the death threats and you know, the constant attacks and, and whatnot. And all I heard was keep going, keep going, keep going. And then when COVID happened, you know, people started, I mean, everybody would show up at these rallies for different purposes. There were, there was gun rights, you know, there was masking, there was, uh, there was all kinds of, of different people coming into one group, but you saw that entire group take on everyone's 
concern and understand why, because these conversations were taking place in person. You know, it wasn't easy to sit there and attack somebody from behind a computer screen. You actually had to look. It was a people's truth. You could feel it from their heart. You could feel it from their soul. And you could have an actual conversation and debate about it. And what ended up happening was everybody was on the same page and understood why it was important for everyone else. You know, so the reinforcements arrived. That was a silver lining in COVID. And when the reinforcements arrived, it just got bigger. And the people that aren't here yet, you know, I, I always say, try to find one of us that have gone backwards. And you never, ever, ever will. Once your eyes are open, you never go back to sleep. You can never unsee what you're seeing. You know, you move forward, and it gets progressively worse and wider. And, you know, the light opens everything and we're built for such a time as this it's our job to show people shine the light on the darkness it's our job to show people that and whether they want to accept that or not that's their journey I'm done arguing I don't care I hope you'll come with us but at the end of the day it's your choice and I'm okay with that it's called freedom of choice (laughs) and that's what I fight for I'm you know, struck by how blasé almost you are about, you know, death threats. And I mean, hospitals killing people. And I mean, the things, no, I I, I understand. I'm just, I'm being a bit facetious, but what I'm saying is that this has become part of our everyday conversation to talk Mm -hmm. about these things. Mm -hmm. And what strikes me is that here you are a mother fighting for your child and trying to warn other parents about this and and people are attacking you mm-hmm. what do you think that's about why have people become so hostile to people who are actually trying to help them whether they agree with them or not it's fear it's fear we have been so indoctrinated for so many years to give our power up and stop listening to our guts and our hearts and our souls and our minds. And we, I mean, and like I said, it, it's triggers or traumas that will open people's eyes nine times out of 10. Every once in a while, there's a random that'll just pop up and go, why didn't I see that sooner? Oh, hey, you know, and escape all the badness that comes with a lot of waking up. But, you know, it's fear. It's fear because if you, if some people couldn't live with knowing, you know, their mistake harmed or could have harmed or, you know, done, done any harm to someone else, they would have to live with that, you know, and I, I don't You're talking about the, the, the decision to inject their child. As an example, it is easier to bash someone else out of the fear of doing it to your own person, like your own family member, than to accept what's being told to you. And I've seen this over and over. You know, I get hundreds and hundreds of messages in my inbox all the time. And it's stuff like that where people are now apologizing, saying, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Like, when you're the one. 
when you're the one bringing the fear, they get very angry at you. Right. Right. Yeah. Because you're, right. It's, you're personified. You're the quack and you're being told you're a quack, right? Like Andy Wakefield was always right. He was always right. But the media told you he was wrong. And he didn't he even say very much. I, oh, I know. He didn't even, he just said, we need to study this more. It looks like there's a, there's an issue here. Right. Holy cow. For people who don't know, Andy, Andy Wakefield was the doctor who called out a possible connection between vaccines and autism, who was absolutely raked over the coals, his career destroyed just for, as, as you said, Todd, suggesting. And, and I, as a little side note here, a, a friend of mine uh, who uh, I showed my little short documentary that I did about um, vaccines years ago to when she told me that when she took her daughter to get the HPV vaccine, she said to the nurse, I heard that maybe the vaccines are dangerous. And she said, no, the man who said that was, was a British doctor and he's been in, he's in jail for the rest of his life. <laughs> well, oh. even those education sessions that they put in for Ontario parents, the majority of that stupid half an hour presentation, and I went in and sat in it intentionally, was all about a cartoon little Andy Wakefield walking through. The wow. I'm, I'm not even kidding. Oh and, I'm not even kidding. And so, and this actually takes us to the, the, the people in the story in our film, the Steffens, because Health Canada is still saying in Parliament that their child died from meningitis and that it was their fault. It's okay. So let's talk about the big picture and the Steffens. So first, I want to say, I don't know how you sifted through all of that footage and found a way to take a, a, a personal story and the macro story and put them together, but you did and you did it beautifully. So give us an overview of the Steffens, their story and, and how this plays into the film. Yeah. So basically Amanda and I did a phone call and said, let, she said, let's make a move. And I said, fantastic. And so then it was game on. We didn't even talk about it again. It was, we're making a movie. So, so I got in touch with David Steffen, who I, I'd known about his family from True Hope and Empower Plus and, and what, what great work they'd done using uh, micronutrients to fight bipolar disorder. And um, that they'd been a thorn in the side of Health Canada and the big pharma. And Health Canada tried to shut them down. So, so I, already knew, I already knew them and that history, but I didn't know exactly the story of what happened with Ezekiel. And I, I thought, well, this could be a possible. It was, again, that voice saying, you know, get in touch with David. So I got in touch with David. It, it just so happened he was coming uh, basically halfway to my house on Vancouver Island from his home on, uh, in southern Alberta a few days later. And so I was, okay, I'll, I'll drive there and I'll interview you. So I drove to Clearwater, British Columbia and did an interview with him. And not even 15 minutes into the interview, I'm like, everything he's talking about is relative is totally relevant to the story we are trying to tell. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the story that all these experts and all, you know, people like Bobby Kennedy and Robert Malone and Catherine Arson Fitz are going to speak to. So, so, you so when you started making the film, you didn't have the Steffens in mind? Uh, no, they were one story of many stories I knew wow. of. And, and then it was just like, that was divine. Intervention. Sorry. <laughs> That's, I mean, the fact that you would connect with him. I mean, because it is, you're right. It's like a microcosm of the big I, picture. Anyway, carry on. Oh, I was sitting in that interview going, thank you, creator. Like, thank you. This is, you're, I can see that the path I'm on is perfect. 
and um, everything's laid out. And so, so yeah, we, I did that interview with him and then we didn't have, they were at a, at a wedding. We didn't have time to interview his wife after his interview, Colette. And so I was like, oh, great. Now I've got to go to Southern Alberta on, on this trip. So phone your wife and tell her you won't be home for a while. And then he also said, you know, you need to talk to my lawyer, the lawyer who represented us in Edmonton. And I'd already known about Willie Mackis and I wanted to do an interview with him. And he was in Edmonton, too. So I thought, OK, well, then I'm going to Edmonton because he's he's got to help tell this story. So I, you know, went I went drove now from Clearwater out to Edmonton. And then um, and then. Uh, William Mackis, his wife was so afraid of Alberta Health Services that she wouldn't let anyone come to their home. So they wouldn't let me in a home. But Sean Buckley was kind enough to let me interview William Mackis uh, in, in his home. So, so just uh, just back up for a second. Yeah. So his wife was afraid of Alberta Health Services. Because they had threatened them. They actually have the email of Alberta Health Services threatening them, saying, we will destroy your family. And those that was the language that they used. No. Yeah. And he goes, they send it to me in an email. It's okay, more that's... often than not. Don't don't kid yourselves. It's I, more I often than not. I continue to be flabbergasted. I hear these stories. And you know, you'd think at some point you would be like, Yeah, I expect that, right? No, it's always like what? And that's a very that's the the hard thing for every average Joe to understand is that this is going on and the corruption right into law enforcement. You know, the corruption runs so deep through our system and they're all on the same team and they're not on your team. And so the Stefan story was the perfect way to, to tell that because these are articulate, intelligent people who were just railroaded and who can speak to it very well. And the story has so much depth and so many different dimensions to it that, you know, you want to... Once you hear them start to begin to talk, you want to hear more of their story. And I think that's what keeps people, you know, like people telling me, oh, yeah, you know, I turned I turned on the film to watch an episode 11 the other night when the kids went to bed and my wife went. And then at 6 a.m. I finished the movie. I finished the series. <laughs> and it's well, like. You did a very good job of cliffhangers. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> that was very good. It's like, it's like watching, you know, it's like watching a drama, right? Yeah. It's like. Yeah. What? what 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 happens next? So I I totally understand that. Um, I'm curious about oh God. There's so many things. I I think yeah. you know I want people to be able to have access to these kinds of conversations without feeling like yeah no that can't that can't be real. So the fact yeah. that that there was an email something so overt as an email about yeah. threatening to destroy your family is shocking and yet not when you hear the Stefan's story. I yeah. mean, clearly they went after this couple and they are also clearly such loving, articulate, you know, decent people. And wonderful, wonderful people. When I went, when I actually had to go back there because I needed to do sort of a, after, uh, you know, taking the story home and completely editing their story, I needed to finish off with something. And so I told him, you know, I'm coming there, you know, uh, you know, I, the, there's no money in the budget. Like, would I be able to like set up a tent in your yard? And they're like, oh, of course you, no, 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 no. We'll, we'll set up your own little uh, trailer for you and get, and you know, they fed me the entire time I was there with them for eight days. I mean, they're just 
just wonderful, wonderful people. Beautiful mm -hmm. people. Wow. And they actually, they, they got a lot of flack. Uh, one of the things that CBC did to them was kind of paint them as religious crazies because yeah. they, they had been Mormons at the time. And, um, but they are no longer uh, take part in that because they saw during COVID it opened their eyes to what was going on in the Mormon church. And one of the things that was going on is they always have a prophet. And uh, they told me that their prophet was making a massive profit from his stocks in Pfizer. And at the same time, their prophet was telling everyone, take this vaccine. Oh, my God. Oh, it's a, you know, it's a crazy world. Somebody should sell tickets. <laughs> well, I believe you are. <laughs> and well worth every penny. Oh, gee. Um, right. When, so, this, so, so the Steffens came into it, um, I was going to say serendipitously. Yeah. What was it that... Amanda, the, the idea for the film. So when you had the idea to call Todd, what what is what was the pitch you made? What was the film? Um, it was about the medical corruption. I've been getting hundreds and hundreds of messages a day from with what I do, right? It's just it's just what comes through. People are letting me know, asking for help, looking for direction, anything like that. And and quite often they would give me the stories of, of how they made it through and, and whatnot, because I answer the majority of my messages. It, it's imperative that we support these people. And uh, then all hell broke loose with my dad, as you know, and um, if well, it let's, wasn't let's just stop because I want people to understand. So you're talking about um, helping people make it through vaccine injury, right? So, I'm talking about everything. There was vaccine injury. There were uh, hospital visits. There were loved ones that were being, you know, trapped in the hospital. There were people that couldn't come out. There were people that were dying on an iPad. Just all of this stuff. And they were telling me about all the conversations they were having that were cold and heartless and, and administrative driven, you know. And like I said, when, when it all broke with my dad, I knew exactly what I was listening for, what I was looking for, and how to help him. So I, I want people to understand now this next chapter. So here, you know, you become involved with advocacy, with health advocacy, with um, vaccine uh, information, giving people information because your daughter was injured, and then your dad gets injured by the Pfizer shot. Right, right. And he wasn't going to take it. He wasn't going to. He's not that guy, but... He's a Hall of Fame baseball player, right? He plays for Canada. He plays all over the world. He needs to travel. He needs to travel. And and that literally was the only thing that put him over the edge was the travel thing. And I don't know. There was a fear that came out of him after he got it too, right? Because I was still sending him articles and, and, and whatnot. And he just started freaking out. Enough with this. This is you and your anti-vax BS and this, that, and the other thing. And, you know... I don't see my dad get scared very often or reactive. Um, he's a very easygoing, go with the flow type guy. So for him to get angry about it, he was fighting himself with his decision and with what had to happen and the fact that he got backed into a corner, you know? So there was that. The most heinous things about that coercion is that not only were people and are continuing to be injured, but then not being believed 
being, you know, people turning on them, but then the, the, the self blame that people are dealing with because, you know, if only the, you know, the what ifs. Okay. So um, pick it up from there. So your dad becomes injured and then what was the next part? Um, and then a, f- a little while later, they called me to say he was dying when he was actually much, 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 much better because he was getting ivermectin on the down low. And uh, he was healing and he was getting homeopathy on the down low. Um, so he was progressing and he was progressing fairly rapidly, but they kept chasing me, trying to get me to pull his plug and make him comfortable and let him go. And, you know, I, I was really mad and I, and I'm, I'm good at kind of sitting back and observing and then determining if it's going to be a rage reaction or if I'm going to outsmart you. And, um, you know, he moved up. I, I got a lot of information that I probably shouldn't have from the nurses that were in there, you know, and, and made them comfortable enough to feel safe in, in, in making comments, which blew my mind, you know. Like we prefer, we prefer when family and friends aren't in the hospital, then we can just do whatever we want, you know, stuff like that, like literally first person conversation, right? There was a handful of nurses that were like, did he get his vaccines? And I said, yeah, that too. He's like, yeah, we're seeing a lot of stroke and heart problems. You know, like little conversations like that, like, ugh, it's just gross. And, um, Oh, there was another one, but I can't recall it right now just because the whirlwind. But um, you're talking about, see, this is the thing I think people don't really get. Here you are. Your father's getting better. First of all, you're having to sneak treatments to him, right? I mean, we all know what happened with ivermectin, but you're having to sneak this in. The fact that our healthcare system does is not actually taking care of our health, you know, it points to, Todd, what you were saying about the whole system, that the system is actually not for us. Mm-hmm. So, but, but how did you, you're being told to pull the plug as you're seeing your father getting better. So how did you end up getting him out of there? Well, when they weren't happy with my answer after, uh, you know, I saw dad react to the doctor saying, no, no, no. And then the social worker coming in constantly chasing us around after I said, you know what, we're not, we're going to give him a chance. I mean, you give, you give people with concussions over six weeks. This is a stroke. This is massive brain injury. Like he needs some time to heal before we even know what's going on. So, uh, then they wanted to talk to my sisters. And when my sisters agreed with me, then they wanted to talk to his friends. And I'm like, my friend, his friends have nothing to do with this. So you can back off. And then, you know, they moved him up into the stroke unit. And I'll never forget the ICU doctor said to me, she grabbed me by the shoulders. She looked me in the eye and she said, you understand that this is a medicine unit he's going to now, right? As if to warn me, like she was very stern and she eyeballed me directly. Because, you know, there was just, I don't know, there was like this unspoken thing going on that, there was communication, but there wasn't communication. And, and, and I said, oh, okay. You know, and as soon as we got him up to the stroke unit, I went in to go see him. 
He was trying to sit up. He was moving all of his limbs. He was moving all of his fingers and toes. You know, he was trying to talk. He had a trach in his throat. Um, he was he was smiling. He was engaged. His eyes were open. And he was doing the best he ever did. And the next day, I went to go make my appointment to go in. And they had locked him down. So, yeah. And I said, okay, so when do I get to see my dad again? They're like, we're not sure. But there's no visitors now. I'm like... Uh oh, okay, number one, no more ivermectin. Whoops, this is gonna be a problem. But it took four days, four days for the doctor to call me and then tell me that I needed to prepare myself because my dad was going to be passing away. Four days later, okay, he was unresponsive, his breathing was shallow, he was on a freaking massive dose of morphine. That should explain the breathing. His liver was toxic because they were pumping Tylenol into him like crazy. He's now on insulin, high, high levels of insulin, because all he's eating is Jevity, or Ensure. And what is it? What's the top ingredient in that garbage? Corn syrup. You want your loved one to decrease and not be able to fight what they're fighting? First thing you give them is sugar, friends. They do that to cancer patients. Right? And and what does cancer feed on? Sugar. sugar. <laughs> Right. See, I've heard so many stories like this, but I think it's still unimaginable for most people that the medical system is actually killing people. Right. And, And it's crazy because it's top down. Right. There are good nurses and there are good doctors out there. There are. There are. But there are nurses and doctors that are going along with this and knowing what's going on. And that's where I have a problem. You know, yeah, that's what so that you were you you went into this to care for people, not to listen to your government from the top down. You yeah. had a drive, you had a passion, you had a you had a will to help these people, and you're you're just you're causing their deterioration. You know what I mean? I can't even say death, I'm, but there are some cases of death as well. You know, the it's college the college of physicians uh, is so powerful. Yeah. Well, we've certainly learned that in the last three years, right? That, that the doctors who stood up, you know, to fulfill their oath and their personal ethics, um, I mean, their humanity, have been vilified, attacked, had their licenses removed. Yeah. But guess when power fails? Is when the light is shone on the darkness. And what are we here to do? Yeah. Shine a light on the darkness. People yeah. know corruption is existing in all of these major facilities now. You know, it's it's involved in the homeopathic realm, in the in the chiropractic realm. They have infiltrated, they have taken over, and they're they're making a mockery of these practices. You know, and whether that's for you or not is is none of my business. I don't care. You choose whatever you want to choose, but you don't get to tell me how to live my life. Yeah, or what my choice should be. Mm-hmm. Have either of you, you know, with the the threats that we've been talking about, have either of you, and, and certainly Amanda, I mean, you talked about death threats. How did you deal with those? Was there a point where you were concerned for your well-being? Have you, has it ever had you reconsider uh, continuing your advocacy? How do you deal with that? I mean, there, are, there have been times when I've reconsidered a lot of things. 
But at the end of the day, I'm in the place where I'm supposed to be. And you know what, when I, when you get these people who are only brave online, and they're really just smoke and mirrors, I picture this gross dude behind a computer screen, eating a pizza pocket, screaming at his mom to make him another one. Do you know what I mean? That's what I put in my head. And then I start to laugh. And I'm like, clearly I'm bugging some people. So I, I, this is what I meant to do. It's so good. And I love that you've created, first of all, it creates lightness around something that could be very heavy and, and sucking your energy. So you've created lightness, but also using humor. It's so important where we are now to use humor, to use art. And I want to ask you, Todd, you know, what you said, what we talked about originally about the purpose of art, because I very much feel that way. The, mm-hmm. the role of artists is to be the canaries in the coal mine, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're empathic. We are feeling, feely people, right? And we're yeah. supposed to be seeing and shining a light on the darkness, why do you think so many people, so many artists have not stepped forward? Yeah, I mean, that's so weird to me. You know, I look at someone like Dave Grohl, who uh, the Foo Fighters made a second album, which I just loved. And so I always had at the end. And Dave, so I kind of know Dave Grohl from his music. And he always, you know, talking about what a punk rock guy he is and his punk rock ethos. And then when it came time to get vaccinated, I mean, he, they, he wouldn't even let people into his show unless they were vaccinated. So that's the opposite of what he claimed to be. So now, you know, like these people are turning out to be total hypocrites. The worst part about his story and why I bring him up is because his drummer died of an enlarged heart while on tour after he had tweeted about not thinking that the vaccine was a good thing but having to take it to go on tour with the Foo Fighters. And now he's dead. And then to make it worse, you've got mainstream media, who obviously is owned by BlackRock and Vanguard. Vanguard, actually. Vanguard, who owns them and owns Pfizer, all the controlling shares. And you've got the media saying that this guy, oh, he must have relapsed and he's, he was a drug addict and it must have been, he's he's wasted on drugs. And, and now his family's left with that memory of him that, you know, he drugs meant more and he took his own life basically by screwing up with drugs. I mean, it, it is such a tragic, sad story that could have so easily been avoided. And yet it's the same I, story for all of them. Everything that's happened, it's that same story. When is it going to be a coincidence? They didn't all die of a freshly new drug addiction. And then you've got like Mick Jagger, who was like this guy from the, him and Dave Grohl wrote a, wrote a, anti anti-vax song so if you were if you were not taking the Pfizer vaccine they they're like attacking you in their song it's just like wow wow it was uh Sean Penn was the first one who heard I heard you know I'm not gonna have any unvaxxed people on my film sets and I and I really I thought okay that's not gonna go well and then everybody yeah I mean, I couldn't work. So my, you know, bef- before this, I was an a- I, an actor, bef- you know, so I was acting, directing. Yeah. And I, I got, we got a letter. From, so in Canada, the Actors Union is ACTRA. Yeah. We got a letter um, about two things. One, the president had sent a letter to Trudeau praising him for all the vaccine choices we had. Okay? Oh. 
Then we got um, a little video from the president of ACTRA Toronto saying, got my jab today. And it was so disgusting because actors are so desperate to work, to belong, yeah. you know, to get approval. And Harvey Weinstein showed us that. <laughs> Absolutely. If you'll and sleep with that guy, you'll do anything. Yes. For your <laughs> that is so true. Gross. And then there was this survey that went out. This was this was my favorite uh, irony. So there was a survey that went out about uh, diversity and inclusion. And, you know, and so you had to fill out these boxes. Have you ever been discriminated against for being a woman, for being gay, for being, you know, whatever, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And in a, you know, comment section, which I commented on. You add your own. I, um, vaccine choice, maybe. <laughs> so, well, it would be interesting to find out if they were a part of the immunization partnership fund that was offered to all of these uh, institutions and places like the OMHA, you know, education universities were offered this and they were offered money to promote the vaccine and push the vaccine. The Immunization Partnership Fund. That is very interesting. I don't know anything about that. So who was this offered to? Um, any organization. They were offering money. I can't remember if it was up to 500000 or a little bit more, but the OWHA took part in that. And Dr. Karen Moore went in and strong-armed them as well. Uh, OMHA was a part of that. Uh, the union was insane. They they yeah. put her out of a job. Universities took took a hold yeah. of that. Yeah. You know, yeah. there were so many things. Even like there, were, small businesses could apply for this as well. So that should tell you all you need to know. If yeah. you're getting letters from the top. Yeah, I, it's it's just. I, I want to just go back. Todd, do you have any thoughts on why artists like en masse bought in? Well, I mean, one of the biggest control things that I see uh, on this planet is greed. Um, in fact, before this all started, I was looking at making a movie called Greed and getting into Bill Gates and getting into vaccines and, and all of this. Um, so, you know, I, I see that as an issue. I mean, you know, like, I don't know, someone like Neil Young. I was going to bring him multi, up. Multi, multi, multi-millionaire from his music. You know, so much money. Sells half, sells controlling share of his stuff to BlackRock. Like, and now he's, and now, okay, now Neil's a billionaire. What the hell does Neil need a billion dollars for? And you And now you're somebody's. Minion? Yes. <laughs> Minion. <laughs> Let's go with PG or G. I should say G. Let's Preferably G. <laughs> you know, and then, and uh, you know, this is a guy who wrote a song called This Notes for You, where I'm not singing for Pepsi, I'm not singing for Coke, but he's singing for BlackRock and they own Pepsi and they own Coke. Oh my God. It's just, it's just too <laughs> deliciously awful. You know? They don't own Joe Rogan. Yeah, I know. Okay, so there was that, right? I mean, he and Joni Mitchell and, I mean, coming out against Joe Rogan. I mean, I can't imagine they've actually, they actually watched or heard that podcast. 
because I mean, it's of all the things out there, it was hardly controversial. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what? I mean, and that's the idea. I mean, these people—they're not. A, they, these are people from the '60s, you know, mm-hmm. sort of like where it was all about freedom of everything. In Keep fact, on rocking in the free world. Yeah, like they took it too far, you know, with the sexual freedom and all that. They're no understanding what they're doing. But this is people who were for so much freedom. And um, and now they've completely reversed all of that and destroyed their, their good name. And, no, and that's so true. And the only thing we can turn to, like with Neil Young, is money. Right? That's what we're seeing. We're seeing money. And, um, and, and also, you know, probably popularity if, you know, like as far as the Foo Fighters, if you know that a massive group of people is going to go one way, I'm, you're going to go with that and hold on to your audience rather than stand up for anything and lose your audience. I think you can talk to the Dixie Chicks about that. Right, right. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, let's talk about money. I know that, that you have, how did you fund this film and how did you, well, let's start there. <laughs> I want to talk about the whole idea of money because that's been, it is one of the big things that has had people not uh, stand up for the truth. Well, so CHD, Amanda, CHD Canada and myself, we funded this film. And, and uh, you know, the one thing I will say is uh, I've never been poorer in my life. But at the same time, I have so much trust in what I'm doing and where I'm putting my feet that I know everything's going to be fine. And we have a roof over our head and our kids are still eating and I can pay for my daughter's lacrosse. So as far as I can see, creators providing for me and I'm not going to really worry about that side of things. Uh, it would be fantastic to to for, you know, 200,000 people to buy the film and then we'll stop worrying about money at all you know we just make movies forever and that that do what we're trying to do now that would be fantastic um but i you know like with love in the time of covid i was like forget the money just make the movie and and i believe that the money will come and creator will provide amanda your thoughts on this no i mean Todd pretty much said it all. You know, it's not like everybody has a lot of money. We've been shelling out fighting and and doing what we do with all of these groups that are are trying to make headway and, you know, do the right thing for humanity in most cases. Um, But not everybody has a lot of money. So between Todd and myself and, you know, we, we funded, we funded the movie individually as well as with children's health defense. Um, you know, so we just we didn't have the ability to put it out for free at this point in time. And, you know, I mean, we want to continue doing this work because we're adamant about it. We dig for the truth. We want people to know the truth. We want you to make up your own decision. We want to open your mind. We want to spark a thought. We want you to go out and dig and question everything. And, you know, if we've done that, we've done our job. and. At the end of the day, we really hope we've just helped one or two more people along the way. I think that there's something about what you're both saying that is um, worthy of underscoring. And I think that so many people, doctors, for example, who didn't stand up because 
They didn't want to lose their jobs. I mean, doctors who said to patients, I can't give you a vaccine exemption because I'll lose my job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the um, witnesses with the National Citizens Inquiry said that the truckers in Ottawa, the protest, it should have been escalades. Um, you know, they're not trucks. Right. You know, <laughs> and so you really see that people have um, greed or a fear of losing money. How, how, how would you... I don't even know how to ask this. There's a way that you re- you're relating to money, and I understand this very well because I'm I'm in this a similar situation um, where I'm just trusting that following the right path, the path that I'm called to follow, will have everything work out. It is working out, right? Yeah. How do how do we open that up for people? Not as it's not even as like you should because that never works with people. But actually, I, I think all of us are experiencing this beauty in a way right now, this yeah. opportunity to live in a completely different way. A simplistic way. It's teaching us the quality of the simplicity again, right? We don't need all of these things. We don't need to be materialistic. We don't need, and, and for some people, it's a really hard lesson to learn. I mean, I, I'll tell you, I just... I threw my hands in the air and said, you know what? It'll be what it'll be. And away we go. So what is the, I mean, you know, it's interesting because everybody in our society says, Oh, money can't buy you happiness. Like you hear everybody saying that yet. Everybody just wants more money to buy more things. (laughs) You got to look at that. And, and if, if you get to a place where money doesn't, you're not worried about money. You're just, you, you, you'll start to really appreciate and spend more, less time shopping and planning on buying things and more time, like watching the sunset with your child, like the things that bring us true joy that have been created on this planet to bring us true joy. I mean, you know, there's many hardships here and I think we're meant to suffer in different ways and you get sick sometimes. And so you should. Um, But part of, this life that keeps us going is this joy that these things can bring. And I think North Americans, thanks to commercialism and, and the way that we've been taught to live, we've, we've moved away from that a lot, you know, like don't go for a walk in the mall, go for a walk in the forest and see how different you feel. It's like, you know, it's an invisible goodness um, that, that just is, is, is all over you. But I think that that, that is something that, that we can get back to if if we do not have tons of money to do all this this distraction is what I would call it. And you know, I, I learned that when I was twenty years old, I went and lived in Mexico for a couple of years. And the people there were the happiest people I'd ever seen in my life. I felt so good there. I, it was amazing. And and all we did was surf, play in the water, eat food together. And lots of times it was just rice. But we had so much joy and, and, and I based that on the, I was, that just opened my eyes to, I was like, it's because they have nothing but each other and the natural world to rely on. And it gives them so much joy. There's two things uh, that I I'm hearing in what you said. One, you had said also in a previous interview um, that you really understood it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Um, 
so I want to ask you both about the opportunity of this time. But also, I remember many years ago, I interviewed a very well-known columnist. And um, she was always very joyful. Mm-hmm. And I asked her what drove her. And she said, rage. <laughs> I that. I understand that. And at the yeah. time, I didn't. But I get it. In when when you're facing what you know absolutely is wrong, and you're doing something about it, it 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 gives you a quality of life. So I want to ask you, what is the opportunity of this time? What is it that gives you joy? For me, it's it's my kids, it's my family, it's my freedom overall, right? You know, we don't buy into it. We don't buy it. We don't, we don't, we weren't sold the program and and we've been living our lives from day one. And that has eliminated the fear that has given us joy, that has lifted us up in hard times, you know, and uh, yeah, just we think different now, but we're very especially myself, I'm very selective with what I let in my mind, right? And the saying is true, garbage in, garbage out. If you don't let the garbage in, you're just excelling and elevating your quality of life for not only yourself, but for those around you as well. Stop living in the victim complex. Become the victor in the story, because there are enough of us to change this. And at the end of the day, I still believe we do. I do. Like, they're going to make such a big mistake in some way, shape, or form. And it may be bigger than a trucker convoy, but it may happen worldwide. And you know what? The people will come together. I, I almost feel it in my bones. Like, I get chills and tingles and the whole nine yards. And I know, I know we win this. Because... The light always wins. Truth always wins, you know. And if we don't, I keep fighting until my kids don't have to. And for you, Todd? Well, I, you know, I had a particularly, I I would say, rough childhood. And the way I got through that, and and it wasn't somebody who fit in. I didn't fit in at school, you know. And so the way I got through that was with laughter. And... Um, I just like, seriously, like I divine jokes just being constantly sent to me. Like I have to shut up and not, and be serious sometimes. And it's really hard for me. I've learned to do it. Um, (laughs) just joke all the time because the jokes are just constantly coming to me. And when people say, you know, laughter is the best medicine, I, I agree with that. It saved my life. So I basically, I think had to get to a place when I was quite young where, um, I, I just laughed and I and and wanted to just bring lightness to everything, not have things be heavy, because if I could feel that if I if I went with that heavy thing, it was going to drag me down and destroy me. And so I that was the only way I could live my life. And that's the way that I've lived my life. And, you know, more and more about that has been revealed to me over time. Um, I. Uh, I walked the path of Lakota, so like the Sweat Lodge is my church, and they taught me all about Creator, and they taught me about, and you know, I I I was sitting in the Sweat Lodge one time, and you know, I already like, 
you know, had come to this place from being an atheist to believing in something because I, I realized I'd always believed in source and a source of life and we're living in a creation. So of course something created this, what that is, I never knew. So I had a problem with some people telling me that they knew what it was. And so that sent me down this path, but I was, you know, already on that path to understanding creator and giving thanks every day, which I think is uh, such a great tradition, mm -hmm. you know, giving thanks. How could you ever be depressed if you actually think about the things in your life that you're thankful every day and thank creation and thank creator for those things? It's, it's a wonderful tradition. So the Lakota people gave me that too. But I was sitting in the sweat lodge and it was hot. I mean, it's hot and it's black. You can't see anything, right? Before, before the world was created, it's that black in there. And I was like so hot and I just went into this place of being grateful and thanking creator for all of these things. And as soon as I did that, I, honest to God, the heat was gone. I didn't feel heat. I didn't feel discomfort. I felt connected to something. And uh, I, I mean, that was one of the most joyous moments of my life. So, you know, there's that voice, there's the speaking to you, there is the connection. And I, I've never lost that connection. So. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I think life is wonderful. And I think this war is wonderful. This battle that we're in, you know, it's the best of times or the worst of times. Yeah, lots of bad stuff's happened. I've experienced some of it myself, but I'm also experiencing a wonderful life. And it's not going to be very long. Um, and I'm just trying to, you know, stay on the path. Thank you so much for that, because I, I think there's so much that we're, for, for lots of good reasons, focused on what's wrong. And mm -hmm. yes, we have to face all of those things. We have to face the truth. And we need to buoy ourselves up by focusing on the things we're grateful for. Um, I'm grateful to you for that. Thank you. I wanted to ask one last question before you know you tell us where to go see the film. But yeah. um, how, has, how have the last three, four years strengthened you? How has it changed you for the better? Oh, that's a good question. I, you know, honestly, the, the love in the time of COVID was a big moment for me for really listening to that voice. And I look back and I think about it quite often. And I can see that I've been guided for quite some time to, the, to, to these films and to this place that I'm at now because of stuff I was working on. And the, just the fact that I've already worked with the Stefan family. And here they are again, like, you know, divinely but uh i feel like loving the COVID in the time of covid really helped me to step into what i that voice listening to that voice and what i need to do and i'm only going to base it the, my future on on that voice in my head that just keeps telling me what to do and uh, and i still like you know that the the voice that energy comes in and says oh yeah don't trust that right that's always going to be there i mean that's the thing about this world there's good and evil light and dark whatever you want to call it that that's always going to be here and and it's interesting like lakota they don't judge it they're like you don't that's not here for us to judge we're not here to judge we don't judge that it's just here and you have to work with it and there's energies that are tricky and you've got to stay on top stay vigilant watch out for them and don't let them take you over and the more you practice that, you know, the more you get to live it and it becomes 
easy. You're just, you're just skating. And um, yeah, so that's how it's changed me. I, I can really relate to that. Certainly the last couple of years, I've just been following that. And it has been wildly scary at times. Yeah. But, I, but wow, I'm so much more alive. You know, how, how about for you, Amanda? Oh, man. For me, you know, I, in some ways I feel like I'm stuck in the same place, but I just keep, like I said, going forward. Um, I keep waiting for burnout to hit because I've been doing this since 2014, you know, and for some some unknown reason, it 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 only lasts a day or two and then... I'm given this power back in my soul that's just, it allows it to be reignited and, and get back out there and get mouthy and get, you know, unafraid. Um, and if, if, you know, that's part of my purpose is to be put in front of a bunch of people to take their fear away and stand out front and hold the line, then that's what I'm here to do. And, and I'm okay with that. And you know what? I can tell my kids I fought for them and they they can tell their friends that, you know, I didn't stay silent. I stood up and I fought like hell to make sure they didn't have to. So I think just the self-growth in that, um, more of a mental maturity, uh, less reactive, if you will. Like I, I, I'm not arguing with people about their choices anymore. I don't care if you want to believe that you know, COVID exists, the vaccine's great, you go do you, you know, but you're the one that's going to have to face those ramifications at the expense of whatever choice you make. And that, and that's okay. I'll live with mine, but I can tell you one thing. If the creator decides that it's my time to go and it's over a virus that's named after a beer, then so <laughs> be it. But I'm not going to stop living because you're afraid. I believe that the mama bears are going to save the world. I, you know, all my interactions with you, the things I've seen of you, I, I see, I see that the warrior moms are going to save the world. And this is the time. This is that time. And in the first nations traditions, it's the Eagle and the condor, right? This is, this is the time. Um, where do people see your film? bigpicturemovie.com that's pretty easy and yeah, yeah. i will reiterate this is you know i hate using the term must see film but it is a must see film it is you know if you watch only one film this year um, <laughs> i agree it's all those clichés right i laughed i cried no i it's wonderful i congratulate you both for Thanks taking a personal story and the big picture and telling it both pieces with such so much um, credibility and so much entertainment value. Like really, it is a cliffhanger. Every episode is just beautifully woven together, beautifully told. Thank you so much for everything you're doing in every aspect of your lives. Thank you so much for who you're being. You both inspire me. And I know you're going to inspire everybody who listens to this. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Michelle. It was, it was an honor. Thank you. Yeah. 
An old friend of mine used to say that conversations go to work on people. Words, stories, speaking have power. In a world of lies and corruption, telling the truth is a powerful act of rebellion. I think most of us inherently recognize the truth when we hear it, whether we choose to accept it or not. When Todd heard art should change society for the better, those words rang true and went to work on him for the rest of his life so far. I think that when we align ourselves with those deep truths that move us, we begin to align with our purpose and ultimately true ourselves up to who we really are and who we can be. There was so much about this conversation that inspired me, but my top three takeaways were number one, when we make peace with the voice in our head, we can learn to distinguish the divine from our ego. Just even practicing has power. Number two, everyone experiences resistance. We should expect it rather than be stopped by it. We can actually allow it to teach us. It reminds me of what Byron Katie says, that everything happens for you, not to you. It's also a way of relating to life that has us become the victor rather than the victim, as Amanda said. And my third top takeaway is that while we are going to get angry, because there is plenty in the world to be angry about, we can be the alchemists of our emotions. Instead of suppressing our outrage, we can transmute that negativity into a kind of fuel for positive action. And of course, we don't have to be artists to support art. We can vote with our viewing. Instead of supporting Amazon Prime or Crave, fill your screen and your mind with outstanding content like the big picture. You can find it and so much more empowering programming on freedomnetwork.tv. And you can find the trued up link in the show notes. But there's another way that we can support each other and support healthier lifestyles on top of switching our viewing. We can vote with our dollars and switch our spending. I have just joined a collaborative project that is a win-win-win. It will allow you to switch your household spending to healthier choices and it will allow me to keep Up accessible for free. More than that, we can stop supporting the very people who are poisoning us with toxins and are destroying small businesses. There's actually one more win that I'm particularly excited about. In many of my conversations that you'll hear in upcoming episodes, one of the biggest struggles people are having now is financial. That's not going to come as any surprise. Now, this part may not be of interest to you, and that's completely fine. It's enough to use your buying power to support your health and small businesses. But for those of you who want to earn some extra income and support Trude Up, I am building a small team of people to work with me on this initiative. Whether you're just interested in shifting your spending or you want to make some money while supporting the show, please join me on Saturday, March 2nd at noon Eastern time for my first Zoom call explaining SwitchAway. Until the Trude Up website is up and running, please contact me at gatheryourwits.com. I'd love to meet you. So if you have even a cursory interest, join me on March 2nd. In the meantime, I hope you'll have enjoyed this episode and that you'll share your takeaways in the comments section. Stay tuned. Be true to yourself. And remember that we are the ones we've been waiting for. Thank you.